Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Yes. Again, I will state, I hate this thing. I know. <laughs> I, one of these days I'll figure it out. We are good. All right, Isaiah 7 is where we left off. Now watch how fast we can get through this chapter. <coughs> so what we have here is depicted a scene of two neighboring countries banding together to try to overthrow Israel and depose Ahaz. And as it goes on there for the first couple verses up through verse 8, uh, 9, somewhere in, in, in that ballpark, it, it tells the story of you know, all these people and all of that. But basically what it's doing is that God instructs them not to be afraid. Okay? God says that these guys will not defeat Israel. These aren't the guys. Now, I told you something's coming, but these aren't the guys. <coughs> So obviously the Assyrians, some years later, will accomplish that. But what this shows is the incredible patience of God. And we've, we've talked before in some other studies we've done that it's, it seems very clear that each of us has a certain number of chances, a certain number of screw-ups, a certain number of whatever uh, that we get. We saw that very clearly with, uh, with Saul. Remember, God just got to a point, okay, Saul, that was it. You're, 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 you've used up everything in the bank. <laughs> you're now bankrupt. That's it. And shut him off completely. So it seems as though that's the case. And what, what, what God is doing here is giving Israel chance after chance after chance. But these are not infinite. I don't know how many there is. And I don't even know if you know, Justin gets more than I do. Or I get you know, more than he does. I, I don't know. All I know is that there is a time that the hammer drops, the bell rings, you know, it's over. And so the Assyrians will declare that time because God keeps saying, you know, in that day, it's coming. But again, this, this is not it. But these guys are really, uh, you know, looks like they will. You know, surrounding the country and getting ready to move in. And, you know, but God has it all under control at this point. So these aren't the guys. Now, drop down to verse 9. I, I think it's the, the most critical verse in, in this entire chapter. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Now, I, I like that a lot. If you don't stand in your faith, stand firm in the faith, you will not stand at all. Question, what does it mean to stand firm in your faith? <coughs> I think it's to not waver, not, not be wishy-washy back and forth. It's knowing where your line is in the sand. All right, let me, let, let, let me press that a little further to make sure we, we, we have clarity in that. So standing firm in the faith, kind of know what that means. Now, I'm not going to waver, but what, what would be something or several things that we would bring into standing firm in the faith that would make us waver? Because that's yeah, you know, that's a biblical term. That yeah, you know, I mean we you know what what would what would be one of those things that, that would actually diminish standing standing firm? Start, I mean, at that time they were giving to the others. They, they were they were seeking outside of God. They were looking at the other gods, the other. Okay, so some type of idol. Mm -hmm. Some type of idol. bringing in the idol of some sort, thinking that has as much power as God. So if I have God and this, then I'm twice as good. Okay, so that's that's critical. Uh, what else could could damage or diminish somebody's somebody's faith? You need to be the same person no matter who, what group you're with. Ah, so okay, so you stand firm here with your Christian friends, and then you act like somebody. So yeah, so it's yeah. With your other friends. So we're talking a, a, a sense of integrity here, regardless of who who you're with. What were you going to say, honey? Uh, if a tragedy happens and you yes. doubting God. Yep. You know, oftentimes there's a curse of God that, you know, why did you do this to me? 
And yeah, yeah, that's, that, that can easily do that. So standing firm, yeah, like what Brian said, is not wavering, is not allowing those outside influences to, to move it. Kind of like what Jesus described, building your house on, on the rock as opposed to the sand. Now, we made it to the beach this summer, and you ever try standing as the waves are coming in? It just erodes under your feet, and I mean, you're a minute, minute and a half tops, you're, you're, you're falling over, right? Because one, you know, it, it pulls away one more than the other, and you're all off balance and everything, and it just, you, you, you can't do it. So that's why Jesus said, you know, on the rock that is Christ our Lord, because that rock is unmovable. So stand firm. So what, what God is saying here is you're either going to stand firm or you don't stand at all. It's not like there, there are multiple options. We like to think there are multiple options. We like to think that, well, I can stand firm or I can, I can do an 80%. You know, I can do a 73.6%. You know, I can do you know, 51%. That should be good enough for God. You know, standing firm, like, like Peggy saying, you know, mo most of the time with most people, but there's, there's those other people that you know, I don't stand very firm in the faith on. They don't even know I'm a Christian and I like it that way. You know, it, you know that middle of the road, you know, riding the fence, uh, kind of like what Jesus described, that, that lukewarm Christian, right, in, in, in Revelation. And remember what he does with those people. I'll you know, spit you out of my mouth. Um, so it's, those are, the, those are your options. Stand firm or you're going to get your legs knocked out from under you. And God's making it clear through every chapter we've said so far, he's the one going to do the knocking, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, he's just not going to put up with this nonsense. So stand firm. Verses 10 to 12, you know, fascinating. You know, you're not supposed to test God. But here God says to King Ahaz, you can ask me for any sign you want, and I'll do it. If you, if you need further evidence that I'm telling you the truth, then go ahead, ask me to do anything. Remember Gideon did that? Yeah, real dangerous. Yeah, I, you know, one time, okay, but you know, twice, yeah. I'm surprised God let him get away with it, but he did. And yeah, so Ahaz has a golden opportunity here. If there's any doubt at all in his mind, I can ask and it'll be done. It'll it'll prove to him. Remember, remember, remember the guy that had to, you know, said to you know, make 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 the sun go back ten degrees and all that, and it just you know, just bizarre stuff. God's willing to do that. Says, don't test God, but when He says you go ahead and go ahead and do it, go ahead and do it. But look at Ahaz's response; he rejects it. And Ahaz, yeah, when you read about him in Chronicles and Kings and all that, you will discover he's not a nice guy. There is, you know, no faith in him whatsoever. He's not following God. He's just rotten. And but his response is one of great piety. <laughs> Far be it for me to test the Lord. <laughs> Right? It's like, it's just, it's not even irony. It's worse than irony. It's just, it's ridiculous. You know, why, why would you respond that way? But he's responding that way because we, you see in the biblical account and in, in the historical books that what Ahaz was doing at precisely this time is he was putting all his, his, his eggs in the basket of the Assyrians. God is saying, trust me and I'll take care of you. He says, well, that's fine, God. Don't trouble yourself because I have this great backup plan. In other words, I trust the Assyrians more than I trust you, God. That didn't turn out real well for him and for the entire nation. So he's basically saying, I have no trust at all in God. But I have all this trust in the Assyrians. I'm going to put my trust in man, not God. So the, the rest of the chapter has God speaking directly to Ahaz. And Isaiah is sent in with God's final message. And as you would expect, this is not good news. <laughs> Ahaz, it's not going to go well for you. Even more prophecy of destruction. But note in verses 13 to 16, we have the first description of Jesus. <coughs> Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, the reference to curds and honey, just... I was just a giant eagle. I, I went down the aisles looking for curds and honey. I couldn't find it anywhere. But you know, this was the, the traditional food of kings. This was elegant. This would be caviar-type equivalent. Uh, so that's, that's what that's a, a, a reference to. <coughs> Last thought, verse 17. But then, 
quote, the Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. Now, what all that means is God simply saying, I'm with you, right? He's already given the promise of, of Emmanuel. You have nothing to fear, but look how scared Ahaz is. So since you reject me and instead put your trust in your worst enemy, you will soon find out what a disastrous mistake that is. Because we know in the end, Ahaz, Ahaz put his trust in the Assyrians, and the Assyrians are the ones who bring about the complete and utter destruction of Israel. All those things that God has been saying for all these chapters so far. I mean, it's really bad, right? Nobody's left. It's just, it's, just, it's, it's awful. The economy's gone. The crops are gone. Everything's gone. No food, no nothing. And all of that did, in fact, come true. And we can thank Ahaz for that. There goes chapter seven, seven, right out the door. Any other thoughts, questions? That was a quick, quick survey. We got a lot more to do in eight and I know, but seven's pretty quick and painless. Done. How do you like that guy's name? Maher Shalal Hashbaz. <laughs> Say it with me. <laughs> Maher Shalal Hashbaz. <laughs> Come on, Sherry. <laughs> Everybody sing <laughs> now. Just the girls. <laughs> it's uh, so that translated. That name means quick to plunder, or or swift to spoil. So in other words, the enemy is coming and going to wipe you out. And so it's a description of the Assyrians coming to quickly do their damage. You know, there's not a lot of sieging. There's not a lot of anything. They just come in and just burn everything down to the ground. They just just terrorize everything. Now, in this case, God is using an ungodly nation to bring about his will. So this describes God using an unbelieving nation. So we know that can be true, and we see it you know, many times. The Babylonians will, will be the exact same case. Uh, God, will, God will use an ungodly nation to bring his people back. Now, it talks a lot about nations. Here's the question. Is it possible for God to use an unbelieving person to actually do his will. See a lot of head shaking. Yes, you should be a lot more affirmative. A nation is just made up of a bunch of individuals, right? So if he could use a nation, he can certainly use an individual. So it could be, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, but it could be a king. It could be, you know, a president. It could be, you know, a leader of, of, any, of any breakdown in any part of our culture or society or anywhere in the world. You know, somebody that's just absolutely against God, but God can still use that person to bring the nation back around again. This is how God works, and it really, really is a mystery. So verses 2 and 3, just bizarre, you know, be, before the child speaks. So now we just had a reference to Emmanuel. This is not Jesus now referred to in, in chapter 8, right? Because this is something that happens immediately. This is 700 years before Jesus. So we have some distinct time frames here. We, we have the destruction of Damascus, and we, we have a, a guy named, a king named Rezin in verse 6. Now we know Damascus was destroyed in 732 B.C. So this prophecy must have been shared, if you do the math, in 735. Remember, we're going back in time now. So the prophecy is given in 735 that you're going to, there's going to be a child born. Verse 3 says, the child is conceived after the prophecy, nine-month gestation. So now we're into 734, at whatever point 734 B.C. But the child is born in 734 and would have been a year and a half or two years old then at the destruction of Damascus. And King Rezin dies in 732. So before the child is able to speak clearly, this will happen. And so then, verse 3, Isaiah goes to the prophetess, and she conceives. Now, that sounds weird, but here's how it works. In this culture, the wife was usually referred to as her husband's title. So he, Isaiah, is the prophet. This is his wife. 
This is their child. He goes in to this prophetess, is the biblical way of saying they had relations and a child is conceived. And so they're told to name that child Mahal Shalal Hashba. Come on, Jerry, it's fun. You got to jump around a little bit when you say that. Each syllable, you got to da 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 da. Yeah. So, but again, that that is some. It's a bad name, but name your child this. Hey Jeff. Yes. Did you make sure Sherry reads this one morning for the. Oh please, yes. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, I love the way you think. Think of the fun we're gonna have. Either that or the first chapter of, of Matthew with the, all the, the genealogy, you know, all the all the names, and most of the names are like you know our buddy Hashmas. So yeah. So again, you're often called the wife is often called by her husband's title. Let's face it, Jan is called Mrs. Church, right? So I mean, that, this is how, how 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 it goes. So verse six then, in the Christmas seasonal musical, the Messiah. Uh, singing this section of scripture, which is exactly what uh, this uh, this is from, um, you know, it was just absolutely in, in, incredible that you know how, how how we see that there in in when we get to to chapter nine, it just the way it unfolds and everything. But here again in in uh, chapter eight, we we have you know the the end of verse eight, oh, oh Emmanuel, right? So it, again, the the focus now is on. The one to come. Isaiah and Mrs. Isaiah have a child that serves this purpose, but this is not Emmanuel. The, verse 9 is absolutely incredible. So twice it says, prepare for battle and be shattered. Twice it says that. So all your efforts, militarily and politically and otherwise, all those efforts are going to be shattered. So go ahead, do the best job you can possibly do. The Assyrians are going to wipe you out. Now that's a real fun prophecy, isn't it? No matter what you decide to do, it comes for naught. There is no, 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 no good thing for you that's going to come out of this. Now, look at verse 10. Actually, at the end of verses 8 and 10, it says, Emmanuel, God is with us. Yet all their plans to defend themselves against the Assyrians are going to fail. Do all you want, and you're still going to fail. You'll be shattered. Now, the $64,000 question. Why? Why, despite their best efforts, pulling together an incredible military machine to fight off the Assyrians, why, before it even begins to, to form, why does God say it's going to fail? Okay, so to make sure that they understand it came from him. And then why does it actually fail? So the, I, I guess the big question, uh, does that say that God makes it fail? Or why do they fail? I think he already knows the outcome. He knows what they're going to decide in the long run. Okay, he knows it. But what's the reason why he knows it? What have we been talking about in every chapter so far? Their heart. And what is their heart? Oppression. I mean, they said about it like you were saying about earlier with oppression, the widows, the poor, and the children. Right. So they're coming up with laws that that, that, that oppress groups that, that can't defend themselves. Uh, but we've certainly got a sense that virtually everybody in the country has, has rejected God. God is not going to bless a nation that, that rejects him. That's all there is to it. They might win a battle or two, but in the end, they, they, they are not blessed. They don't get the good things from God. Exactly. So he just told them to stand firm in the faith, but they, they, they refused to do it. They put their, their lock and stock into in allying with the Assyrians. And they're the ones who wipe them out in the end. So basically, you, you've let them in. You've let, let the... the, the <coughs> The, the coyote in, 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 into the, the hen house, and now you wonder, gee, wonder what happened. I mean, you've shown them all, all your weak points, you've shown them everything, and then, oh, gee, they defeated us. How, how'd that happen? 
Like, it's, it, it's just absolutely insane. They put their trust in that. But the entire nation was not following God, especially the king. Therefore, God says, you reject me, I'm going to pull out. And your military is not strong enough to defeat the Assyrians. Verse 14. A really neat verse. And he will be a sanctuary, but for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Now, how, given the circumstances, how is God like a stone that causes men to stumble, a rock that makes them fall, and a trap to snare them? What is God doing to be viewed that way? Yeah. Yes. Precisely. Yeah. He's letting them do it. You say you don't want me? I'm a gentleman. I'll back off. And just see by, by your own wits and ingenuity and strength and all of that what, what, what you can accomplish. And they fall flat on their face. They, they're going against the will of God. And again, God is not going to bless that. And so, uh, here we go. Yeah, as we discover in Romans 1... <laughs> That it's, the wrath of God is already upon humanity, and the wrath is simply, you don't want me, I'm out. You don't have to you know, get even with us. We get even with ourselves. We trip and fall because you know, we're, we're on the wrong path, and we don't know where we're going, and we stumble around, and finally, we're ensnared by it. So when you're against God's will, you're going to be defeated. So refusing to do what God wants becomes the stone, the rock, and the snare. They trip and they fall into a trap by their own choice. You see? So this isn't God doing it. God somebody allows it. But he knows what's going to happen, so he's telling them, this is what's going to happen. I mean, my gosh. If I, somebody told me a prophecy of what, what God was going to do, I'd like to think I'd believe it. <laughs> You know, that's as outrageous as it is. Because what God says always, always, always comes true. Now, verses 16 and 17, pretty, pretty neat stuff. Apparently, there are a few others besides Isaiah. See at the end of verse 16? My disciples. So he has a few disciples. There's a few other people that are with Isaiah and with God. But here God gives the instruction to my disciples to take the testimony, take, take what God is teaching and seal it up tight. And we'll let it out again sometime in the future. Now, again, deep theological question. Given everything we've learned so far, people have rejected, continue to reject, reject, reject. Why would God then say, I'm pulling, I'm pulling the truth away from you. I'm pulling my word away from you. Why, why would God do that? So they don't distort it? Okay, knowing that as twisted as they are, uh, Jesus talks about that. Don't, don't cast your, your, your pearls before the swine, right? Because they will abuse it and they don't see the value of it and uh, will ruin it. Okay, that's, that's, that's part, part of the mix no longer the covenant between the two. Right, you've broken the covenant, so... The covenant, so he cannot be associated with that. The point of blessing would be counteracting his covenant. So at this point, he's withdrawing, letting them show them the folly of their way, so that in turns that they'll come back. Much like what Paul says about the young man that married his mother, cast him out of the church in the hopes that he'll see the folly of his way and, and return. But if you allow this to continue, it's not going to ever change. If you continue to think this is a wonderful thing, then he, he will never never repent. So you've got to make that abundantly clear. And again, that's how God always always works. So again, you know, with the chances. So what he's saying is you've had chance after chance after chance. You've used up all your chances. I am withdrawing myself, my truth, my word, whatever you want to describe it. You said you wanted to be on your own. 
have at it. And that's what, 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 what God does. So, you know, each of us needs to ask, you know, do we know people that possibly might be on their last chance? I mean, a lot of, a lot of people doing a lot of really bad things out there. I mean, you got to ask yourself as well. Have, have we as a nation, I mean, if this happens to nations, have we as a nation told God so many times, I don't want you, I don't want you, I don't want you, that God would respond, okay, I'm out. I think we're hearing that every day. <coughs> Just throwing it out there. Yeah, it's, I mean, I get, you, you, you can't as, as a nation, especially the leadership, but here in the next chapter, we're going to discover the people, like dumb sheep, follow this. So well, we have leaders, but we don't have to listen to them. So I got, I got leaders in the Methodist denomination that you know, they tell me to do, to, to do something that, that, that I know is, is, is against what scripture. I'm trying to go jump in a lake. So, I mean, you, again, standing on the rock, that's, that's our faith. That, that's what it means. So even when you're told to do something by somebody in authority that you know is wrong, do you do it? That's part of the discernment, that fine line, because I know we're called to respect and to obey our authority, yep. but that, that's the hard part of us as Christians is where do we, you know, drawing that, where do you draw that line and when do you say no versus respecting authority? Is that just when the, I, I guess my, my personal viewpoint is when that proceeds to disobey the will of God at that point. Well, it, it comes down to a matter of prioritizing. What's the highest calling? Yeah. You're told to do this, yes. but there's something higher. Sure. And so if, if the lower thing conflicts with the higher thing, then you must always side with the higher thing. Yeah. I mean, that's the easy answer. And you can sleep good at night because I'm just doing what the most important thing is. I like to do it all, but if I can't, at least I'm doing the highest thing, the number one calling of my life. And that's to, to follow God. If you look at Daniel's example, was told to do something and he respectfully declined. And he didn't hide it. And didn't hide it, but he didn't yell or right. very respectful, very good point. Yeah. Talked about why he couldn't and in the end they said, okay, have your stinking vegetables. A lion for you. Yeah. <laughs> Off of his head. So, Justin is our Daniel authority. He's, he's working on Daniel with the youth. It'll be so much fun. So it says that we're going to have to wait. We're going to lock this up, seal it up tight, and we're going to wait for the right time to bring it out again. Now, waiting's not easy, is it? Because you don't know how long you have to wait. You don't know. But with God, you know and trust that he eventually will come through. If he says, wait a while, keeping in mind that a day is like a thousand years to God, <laughs> you don't know how long it's going to be. Uh, it's not a very defined time frame, but God says, I'm going to take care of it sooner or later than as a matter of faith. See, we don't know. See, that's the definition of faith. It's not faith if you gave it the exact date and time, but he says, I'm not going to tell you when that is. But until I make that clear as to what I'm doing, will you remain faithful? That's where the rubber hits the road. So our response should be, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that God does. Therefore, I will patiently wait. That sounds like a really good Christian response. Not forcing God's hand, not, not making it hurry up God, or, or, or I'm not going to believe in you anymore. It's just, I'm going to wait patiently. And it might be a day, a week, a month, a year, 10 years, 20 years, who knows? It might not even happen in your lifetime. But if you remain faithful, you get to go to heaven, then you get to see all of that unfold from the other side. How cool would that be? That God was right again. <laughs> I knew it all along. Verse 19 is a fun one. 
a real good explanation of why God is so against the occult. You think what, what, what this is all about is, you know, they should have come, and we, we see this all the time. Saul did it. Yeah, the Israel does this all the time. They get these, these pagan influences in there, and rather than come and consult with the word of God, with checking it out, with, you got a prophet on, on staff right now. Go talk to him. Uh, you got the Holy Spirit. Talk to the Holy Spirit. you got all these resources. You bypass all of that, and instead you would rather talk to the dead. What? And it, it has happened a couple times in the Old Testament. Now, the scary part is, sometimes, that can actually happen. But the question is, where, where is the power coming from to make this happen? Is it from God? Or from Satan? You see, because God says, "I don't want you to know the future." So, any any the definition of the occult is any effort in any form, whether that's reading your palm, whether it's tea leaves, whether it's you know Ouija board, whether it's you know calling up the dead, whether no matter what it is, God says all of those mean that you're trying to figure out the future, and I told you you ain't going to do it. So stop trying. So. There was a guy named, last name Edwards on TV, remember, 10, 15 years ago? Had a really popular show, I think it was on Friday night, where he's, you know, talking to dead people, people in the audience, you know, there's, there's somebody in this room that has a gray shirt on, you know, and there's like six people with gray shirts, and, you know, it's like, anyway, oh my, he's talking about me, and, you know, who had the loved one die. Well, I wouldn't be on this stupid show if that wasn't the case, you know, and just, it just, it's, it's just bizarre. Now, whether he, I, I think I don't believe he had the power to do that. I doubt if anybody who has the power is going to be on TV. Uh, it just seems a little, little hokey to me. But you know, you hang out with Satan long enough. I mean, you might be able to do something along those lines and impress your family and friends at the at, 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 at the next dinner party. Um, you know, Lord only knows. But you know, I've, I I have heard of from very reliable people that were in, in occasions where something like this happened and. Uh, yeah, you know, it seems very legitimate. And but again, you know, where where does the power come from? You might be able to do it, but you shouldn't be dabbling in that because you are you are sticking your hands straight into hell and pulling up whatever you can you, you can conjure up. And well, that stuff is pretty pretty bad. So God has an absolute prohibition against anything that tries to figure out the future. What do you think, honey? There you go. <laughs> I was so tempted. Yep. So yep. And there's one in the area yes. about 20 minutes from here. She talks about angels and everything, but my family and friends told me what angels? They're not the right angels. Well, exactly. De de demons are dispossessed angels. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So it's, 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 it's all, all in the definition of an angel. Well, I'm so glad you're here tonight because, yes. So, yeah, it's. Yeah. <laughs> Carol and I work work well together. <laughs> From the front of the room to the back of the room, we're we're gonna get this covered. But yeah, that's that that's that's precisely it. So, you know, yeah, all of those things are just I mean, they they, they, they originate in Satan. Therefore, any Christian to whatever degree should should run run away from I, I walk by and just, just snicker to myself. Because they're they're funny, you know, palm reading and just you know your horoscope and just all of that. You know, a lot, a lot of people say, "I read, read the horoscope for entertainment." Don't, don't do that. That's, that's still you're, you're dabbling in that which the Lord God Almighty says, "Thou shalt not dabble." Can you, watch, can you look at it? It's because I've done that occasionally. Yeah, they're so general that I mean, it's just it's they're worse than fortune cookies. I mean, they're just they're, they're, they're yeah, fortune cookies aren't aren't evil. They're just yeah. <laughs> So, there, there was a, a really good episode. This is going to sound funny. You're, you're allowed to laugh. It's a really good episode of South Park. 
<laughs> a couple of us have, have, have seen that you know, depicting this Ed, Edwards guy and I mean just the, the wisdom from these eight-year-olds on this show you know in the midst of all their cussing and swearing and everything is is, is just, I mean just I mean really it was a very enlightening show and uh, I mean that's truly what it is I mean if an eight-year-old can figure it out then <laughs> it's just it's a, it's a parlor game is all it is you just you kind of you lead people to say say to reveal and they don't even realize it and then you just you take that information and and you you use it against them and you know oh yeah there she is Aunt Millie uh, It's just dumb. So yeah, when you when you got to be in the dark and hold hands and candles and you know conjuring up spirits, um, yeah, there was you know, one one great story in the Old Testament. Saul gets gets the guys together and they conjure up an evil spirit. The evil spirit comes, boy. No, it was Samuel. Yelled at Samuel and uh, yeah, so. I mean, it, like I say, it can happen. I believe it's it's quite rare, but it can happen. But where is the power coming from? So, and the same thing with 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 faith healing and you know just and anything miraculous like that. You you got to question where where is that coming from? Who who gave permission or the authority or the power for that to happen? Wasn't there even one of the former televangelists that used the earpiece and prayer cards to? Um, believe it or not, this guy's back on TV. And if I, I mean, 30 years ago when when this broke, I I, I I remember looking at him and said, I mean, it just he looks to me the personification of evil. Uh, his last name is Popoff. He's on some. You can find him on TV now. He's he, he's back again after 25, 30 years. He's uh, um, at some offbeat Christian station. I can't even remember the name of it. Um, not one of the, the majors, but uh, just one of the secondary ones. And uh, he's on late late night. And yeah, so that that's what he did. He had he, he, everybody who came to his healing sessions, some of them were like in a couple thousand people. Everybody fill out a card. Name, address. Um, <coughs> and uh, a description of your ailment. And so he had this very small earpiece receiver in his ear and his wife was up in the booth reading these cards off and so he would walk along and it was so so convincing you know you know there's there's a lady here somewhere jan is there a jan here and all these jans raise their hand and everything and janet lives in in bed bedford is that, is that the name of a town bedford in in pennsylvania her zip code is one five five two two, and suffers from whatever, you know, you know, yeah, being 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 being, being with her husband, and, you know, but you know, and so he's getting all this, and he's he's making it look like he's he's you know revealing all this. Well, this guy thought he was doing something like that. He brought a a a, a, a receiver. And turned it to that, you know, went through all the frequencies and picked up that that, that frequency and recorded this. And uh, it was on twenty twenty, I think, many many years ago. Wasn't there a Steve Martin movie like this? Yes. Yep. Yep. Where the, with the evangelist? Yeah. What was? Ah, I can't think of the name of that one. Yeah, that was funny. Just a lot of jumping up and down and yelling and screaming and getting people, you know, into this 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 spiritual emotional frenzy and <clears throat> just just comical. But uh, it, it was really funny. You know, after after that. 2020 aired that that Friday night. He was he was off off TV on Sunday. <laughs> but yeah, there's just a lot of lot lot of you know, charlatans out there, and uh, you know this stuff is so easy to abuse, and that's another reason why God says just just don't don't even try. In other words, you know, just just live a simple faithful life is a much better testimony than you know getting on TV and healing people and doing this that and the other thing. It's just it's it, it's a lot more effective. And as we've studied, you know, that you know, miracles, miracles don't don't help already established Christians. If anything, it hurts us because you get one, and I got to get a bigger one next week. Got to got to get my fix. I'm jonesing for for, for a bigger one. Uh, so, you know, the, the value of miracles is, is for unbelievers. That just might convince them of the reality of God when something happens that they can't explain. 
if we can get them to attribute that to God, then that that just might be the thing that tip, tips them over the edge. But uh, yeah, stay away from the occult, anything having to do with the occult. So whatever you want to call them, mediums, uh, you know, soothsayers, uh, you know, fortune tellers, um, it just, yeah, they go by a thousand different names, just you need to know the difference. And uh, you know, any sign you see with a little eyeball on it, stay away from that. You know, it's, it's like, you know, I can see, no, you can't. You're just taking my money, and even if you can, it means you're working with the devil, and I want to stay even further away from you. But the, end, the, the result is still the same. You're, you're getting lied to because Satan is the prince of lies and uh, is, is going to lie to you even if it is legitimate. So you've got to stay away from that stuff. But conjuring up all kinds of spirits and all that is just bad. Bad, 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 bad. Verse 21. The result of steadfastly holding on to a plan that goes against the will of God will be distress and hunger while you roam the land. Well, sign me up for that. Now again, this is prophecy. This God tell, this is definitely going to happen unless you change your ways. How do people say, no, well, I'm going to side with the Assyrians. We're stronger together than you, God, and we will make our will supersede yours. It says that they will be enraged because their plan is not working and they're going to curse God. So rather than humble themselves before God, they arrogantly blame God that their plan doesn't work. Which results in then, what Jesus says, the, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Forever. My plan didn't work. I can't believe my plan did. It was so smart. It was so well executed. It was perfect. And it didn't work. I got caught. Verse 22. So having rejected God, the only resource they have left is the earth. Do you see that? Themselves. Because God has removed himself, remember? Or they removed God. They told God to take it. And he does. And so they further thrust themselves into darkness. As if it wasn't dark enough, they go even deeper into the darkness. Because now they're going alone. Again, I would challenge you to consider the possibility of 2017 America and the path we've been on for some time. Is it leading us to something better or something worse? Because as you continue to take God out of everyday life, that is only going to result in further violence, further senseless shootings, a crowd in Las Vegas, in our schools, and everywhere. That's what it means. The absence of God will result in these things. It is no surprise. Don't be shocked. It's simply a confirmation of the times, exactly as it was here. You know, at the end of the next chapter is you know, brother against brother. Just, you, you have what I want, and I'll, I'll kill you for it. I don't even care. That's what happens when you take God out of individual life and take God out of a nation. The natural result is terror and death. That's all we've been reading about. And we need to believe that that's true. As we get into chapters 9 and 10, it's really going to become clear. I can't state this strongly enough because it has been the constant theme since chapter 1. Not only do people reject God, but they compound the sin by replacing God with meaningless idols. See, that's the danger. Getting rid of God is one thing, but replacing God with something else. Of course, you, you have to. You have to replace God with something because there's a vacuum there. And the, the thing that comes sucked in is evil because God is not there to ward it off. Much like Jesus tells the story about the, the, the guy with, with, with a demon, single demon, has that, is cleansed of that, but doesn't fill himself with the good things of God. That demon goes to the demon bar and picks up six, six buddies, seven buddies, and so all eight of them now, the first guy says, well, I know where we can go. That guy I just left, he's, he's wide open, he's ready, he, he's ready. So now he's got eight demons, and Jesus con concludes that parable in such a cryptic way. He says, he's way worse off than he was originally, wasn't he? <laughs> and he moves on to the next thing. It's like, yeah, he's way worse off. He's way worse than, than one. 
So if you don't, if you're not filled with God, then you're just a vacuum sucking up evil, sucking up evil, sucking up evil. It's no surprise. Interestingly, what the Israelites are doing here in making an alliance with Assyria, Stalin did in World War II. He allied himself with Hitler. Remember what happened to Russia in World War II? Burned the place to the ground. And they, they were no great military machine, so they were easily defeated. I mean, that's a huge chunk of land, and Hitler really wanted it. So he said, oh, yeah, we'll be allies. Shake hands. Well, two years later, you know, wiping you on. I mean, yeah, gone all the way over to France. Okay, now I'm going to go the other way. We're just going to take over that the, the entire continent. And, um, you know, the R Russians could do nothing. Stalin was an idiot. Absolute craziness. You don't ally yourself with evil. He wasn't a really nice guy either. No, Stalin killed killed more more of his own people than 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 Hitler was responsible. He's the number one murderer in 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 all of history. Stalin, yeah. So nuts and evil. There's a great combination. <laughs> Man, where's chapter eight? Any other intelligent thoughts on chapter eight? I'll take any semi-stupid ones too, I guess. But just, not fully stupid, just semi-stupid. Anything else jump off the page at you? Chapter 9. You know it's going to be fun when a chapter starts with nevertheless. Don't know how this is going to go, but it should get your attention because it doesn't happen very often. Nevertheless. But this is good. Although it looks like gloom and distress, all gloom, all distress, there's no good news whatsoever. But yet I'm going to give you some. There's going to come a day when all of that's going to change. You see, the, the prophecy that Israel will continue to reject Jesus, so all of this is for Israel. But notice what happens. Since you guys reject it, the Gentiles will be invited. And guess what? They will accept it. So the Gentiles, that's usans, that's the plural of yuns, right? <laughs> I just made that up. So, because I'm such an English scholar. <laughs> so the Jews are God's people designed to receive it. They reject it. Therefore, God will pass it on. The Jews thought the Gentiles were beyond God's grace. They don't want to deal with the Gentiles because you're, they call them dogs. It's all the more you're just animals. God has nothing for you. But here's God saying, well, I'll just bypass you guys and I'll work with people that want to, want to work with me. So Gentiles are the ones who have received the blessing. Verse 2. Although they walk in darkness, they will not only see the light of Christ, but these Gentiles will go to it. They will run to it. They will embrace it. And yep, we have. So as bad as things got over the next 700 years, so the Assyrians wipe them out, the Babylonian captivity, and haul them all out of, out of, out of town, make them captive for, for generations. I mean, it just, it was a real roller coaster for the next 700 years. So over the course of all that terrible things that happen, it's only going to take, and you see it there, it's only going to take the birth of one child to change all of that. That's pretty cool. It's only going to take the birth of one child to bring the people back to God. Verse 6. Notice the plural pronoun is us. Not to me, to us. So this is a gift offered to all people. Sure, it's offered to the Jews, but they keep rejecting it. So for any and all, the gift is given, and when we receive it, we receive the blessing. Verse 7 is kind of interesting. It says that Jesus' government will continually increase. What, what is Jesus' government? I'm not sure he has senators and, and congressmen and governors and all. What, what kind of government does Jesus have? His kingdom, which makes Jesus 
<laughs> right? So it's not a, a government in the sense that, that we understand it. It is the way the Jews actually started. God is your king. You don't need a human sitting on a throne. I am your king, God says. So that's, that's what it's describing. So with Jesus in charge, everything is going to run real smooth. Then the, the end of that verse, uh, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. So that's saying God is super pumped to do this. He's just, he can't wait. Very excited. God is zealous to bring Jesus into the world and start to make some incredible changes. But the, again, the timing, the patience of God. We had to wait until the time was right. And when, when you look at all of history, it, it, it seems clear that, that the exact time that G Jesus was crucified was the best time to receive this because things were literally at their worst. <laughs> you know, I mean, people that just saw no way out. I mean, the nation of Israel, is, you know, it's, that's what we studied last year in John. Just the, how depressed everybody was. You know, religion had just gotten to the point of ridiculous. You have a couple of these these high officials that ran everything, and you know they had tons of money, and everybody else was just you know poor and just you know saw no hope. I mean, the leaders told them, "You have no hope." You know, God is blessing us all because we're so good. You, there's something wrong with you guys, so you're not getting in. You know, it just it was just just an awful awful time. And Jesus comes with this grace and says, "Now, just believe in me." That's Kind of want to preach on this week. You know, come, come to living water, and your thirst is gone. Verse eight. The first seven verses are a blessing for Gentiles. We start in verse eight at the end of the chapter. God turns His attention to Israel. I bet the tone is going to be a little different. We're going to discover that you know this is just not not real good. But go back to verse six. Because this, this description of the Messiah, Emmanuel, uh, you know, when they sing the Messiah, I mean, th this is the grandest part of the whole thing. I mean, it's the loudest, you know, just where they start singing, you know, you know wonderful counselor, you know, just the mighty God, everlasting father. Yeah, you know, when they start singing that, I mean, it's just, just such a crescendo. It's absolutely incredible. But this is a direct relation, you know, it's describing Jesus, the Son. Right, God three and one, but it's describing personally Jesus the Son. But look how it describes him. Wonderful counselor, that's the description of the Holy Spirit. Mighty God, that's a description of God the Father. Certainly everlasting Father is a description of God the Father. So Jesus, we think of yes as the Prince of Peace, but the first three out of four descriptions of Jesus are to the other persons in the Trinity. <laughs> Right? So again, verifying that God is three in one, not three distinct, you know, autonomous, do whatever we want type of thing. It's they're all the same, and everything they do just rolls over the other. It's it's hard to distinguish which one is really there. So it, it's just absolutely incredible. You, you can't differentiate between the three. So God is truly three in one. So now we, we, we get into verse eight and in this, you know, what this has to say to Israel. Look, look at verse nine. Israel doesn't receive God's blessing because they are filled with pride and arrogance and believe that no matter what happens to them, they can repair and fix it. That's how arrogant they are. Bring your best on God. We can... We can, we can counteract anything you, you do to us. That's their attitude. They think they can abandon God and rely on the Assyrians. Well, it's not going to be long before the Assyrians take over. And about 75 years later, the Babylonians. The Israelite plan will fail because God, who is with them, is disregarded. That's why I keep saying Emmanuel. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And yet you reject, you reject, you reject. Therefore, I have no, no, no choice but to allow this to happen. Since you wanted to come to me and ask for help, you're on your own. Verse 13. So even after the catastrophe has occurred, the people of Israel will refuse to return to God. And again, you see, see, see that clearly in Revelation. 
than after. I think I could figure it out that this minute everybody's on earth. Next minute there are thousands and millions of dead bodies laying around. And you look at who they are and you begin, that person was a Christian, wasn't it? That person was a Christian, wasn't he? That person was a Christian, wasn't he? That everybody who's dead was a believer. And now I gotta go bury all those bodies. You would think that I would be smart enough to realize that, hmm, I wonder if God's word is true that you know the rapture did occur and I missed it. Well, I think I'd better change my mind now and repent. And maybe, just maybe, God in his infinite wisdom would welcome me into heaven. Nope, not one of them. They get more violent, they get more curse you God attitude, and they just dig their heels in and grind their teeth through it, and God says, okay. Again, pride and arrogance. My way is always better than God's. So they think. So verses 13 to 17 is just a list of, you know, basically telling us that all unrepentant persons will be punished. Even widows and orphans. Just because you're poor or you're a widow or you're an orphan, you don't get special dispensation from God. The rule is the same. There's no excuse for not following Jesus. Verse 16. Basically raises the question, why? Why aren't there any special dispensations? Because the leaders are evil and they've designed the government to lead the people away from God and the people are just fine with that. So you see, there's no excuse. You can't say that. You know, I, I lived under this type of government. I lived under a dictator. I lived under you know, a bad president. I lived under whatever. That's not an excuse for you not following Jesus. Especially in this country, no one's holding a gun to your head and making the act a certain way. You have the choice. And God holds us all accountable for that freedom of choice. Now, in verses 12, 17, and 21, three times in this chapter, next chapter is going to say it again, but three times in this chapter alone, it says that the Lord's hand is upraised. This is what you do when you're getting ready to strike, right? You got a weapon in your hand. So God's hand is upraised. He's ready to bring it down. I mean, it's, it shows a, a description or a revelation of, of, of the, 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 the scythe coming and just slicing right through everything, just, just cutting everything in half. Um, you know, it, that's what Moses did. He lifted the staff to perform all the miracles. Bottom line is God's hands are not tied. And we use our hands to bless or curse. God uses his hands for the same purpose. So the question simply is, which one do you want? Do <laughs> you want a, a hand of blessing to come your way or would you like a hand of curse? Last thought. Throughout this whole section, we see how God names individual tribes of Israel and how much they will fight among themselves. There in that last verse, verse 21, it names Manasseh and Ephraim. These are the two favorite sons of Jacob, so they got the two best pieces of land in all of Israel. But look at what they do. They try to destroy each other. They see something they want over there, and they're willing to kill their brother to get it. This is what results. When you reject God, when you remove God, when you tell God, no, thank you, I will find somebody else to align myself with. This is what happens. And this is what we see virtually daily in the news. Not just Las Vegas, it's just pretty near every day. I mean, that's, that, that's the core and the nature of, of all terrorism. I mean, they say they're godly, not what God they're talking about, but you know, it's not not this God. You know, this is something they've made up. They've they've made an idol out of terror. And that's your platform. So I mean, just so when you take God out of the mix, this is what you get. And until we can get God back into individual lives, get God back into our nation, 
can come back into the world. We're just going to see more and more and more of this. So, you know, terror attacks and all that. So, when you get up tomorrow morning and something else is blown up or whatever, uh, it's terrible, it's awful, but as a Christian, don't be surprised. It can only happen this way. So, don't, don't ask why. The question is not why. It's the worst question we can ask. We know why. So, evil people are going to do evil things. That's all there is to it. That's why we need to be an influence for good in the lives of the others around us. So at the very least, something like that is not going to happen here in Bedford. We've got we to start here and let that leach out into the rest of the country. But it's got to start somewhere. I'd like it to start right here with us. So that we can be that, that, that godly influence in the lives of others. That's what I see as our calling. So God calls everybody to do. So he calls Isaiah, just go go and speak, speak my word to people. See what they do. If nothing else, so that, that now they can't use ignorance as an excuse because they've heard it. That's all I need to say. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.